before I preached a short sermon this morning, you can save the laughter for afterwards. Uh, before I started my sermon this morning, I wanted to say thank you uh, as a church for uh, marking my 30th year last Sunday of, of pastoring, and I've been touched by that and encouraged by that, and um, I'm talking to the deacons about signing up for another 30, uh, but their lawyers are talking to my lawyers, and we'll just have to let you know how that's going to come out um, they did acknowledge that I could be buried here underneath the sanctuary. And I just, we just don't know when that date's going to be is, is really the issue. So, uh, sorry. Um, you know, this fall, we have talked about a very simple truth of the gospel that it's all about people. And um, I think about even 30 years as a pastor... You know, it doesn't really matter buildings you've built or programs you've started or I don't know. None of it really matters other than simply people and uh, what we have seen God do in that time. And so we've talked about relationships and developing, connecting relationships. Um, the future of our church depends on this truth, very simple truth, that it's all about people. For God, it's all about people. And that's why uh, the future of our church depends upon, first and foremost, our relationship, our daily relationship with our eternal God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, the strength of our church and the future of our church depends upon our relationship among one another that God would teach us in his grace to love us as he has loved us and that was the new commandment that Jesus gave that you would love one another within the body of Christ but also the future of the church and our church depends upon uh, our connecting to those outside these four walls hmm if you just want to know what's it going to take for God to do in our midst what he wants to do it's going to take a passion in my life to have a relationship with God like I've never had and that through that he would teach me to love you and we would love one another and then that love would flow out of this place so that God, as he pours his love in us and we strengthen one another in the network of strength, that then we would be a part of drawing more people in uh, as God redeems them and changes their life. If you want to know the one thing that infuses a church with life, it's bringing new lives into the family of God it's really it there's nothing I mean we were blessed by Karen's baptism uh, last Sunday and that that encourages us all so I want you to know that we talk about a lot of things but really church life's really pretty simple and what it takes for God to do in our midst what he wants to do that we would love him that we would love one another 
and that we would love those outside these four walls. And through that, God uh, would do an amazing work because it's just about people. That's it. I know we build buildings and we renovate buildings and we start programs and we do all that stuff. It just doesn't matter because it's just about people. And it is our responsibility, those who have a relationship with God the Father through Christ, it is our responsibility once we have experienced His saving grace that we are responsible for connecting others to God. It is our responsibility. It's not enough for me to experience His grace. It's not enough for me to be bound together in connecting relationships with you in this room and many of those that aren't here today. <laughs> it's not enough just for me to love other people. The process is only complete when we are connecting other people to God as we have been connected through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what it's about. And sometimes we kind of lose sight of that. We become a little self-focused. <laughs> it was Jesus who was our model of how to connect with people. And we've seen that. We've seen it in the story of Zacchaeus. That we have to see people as God sees people. Brother Cody did an amazing job last Sunday. And uh, he took the scripture very literally. And I think he meant it literally. No, you connect with people fishing with them. I think, and you're thinking, no, this is, he's speaking metaphorically. Brother Cody is not speaking metaphorically. He, needs, he means you need to go fishing with people. I would broaden it actually to say, and it is a metaphor for life, that you need to find, I'm, I'm picking on him. In fact, there are guys leaving right now with their boats or hooked up in the yeah, parking lot. Brother Cody's point, as you remember, was that we have to find some common activities that other people are connected to that God can use to connect us to them and ultimately to connect them to a greater purpose in their life. And we learned from Jesus' encounter with Peter who was a fisherman and Jesus called him to be a fisher of men. So we have to find common activities. I want to talk for a few moments this morning uh, from the story of the Good Samaritan that you're very familiar with. I want to talk about connecting points. That there are times, there are circumstances in life when a person's need meets our compassion and it becomes a connecting point. I would say Brother Cody's sermon is about intentionally engaging people in activities where we can connect. And that is true. There are also, though, times, spontaneous times in life that we do not plan, maybe didn't expect, but God puts us in a circumstance in which we must seize that opportunity. Someone, maybe in a moment of great need, that needs to meet our compassion that we've experienced in the Savior that becomes an opportunity for us to connect them to the Father. 
And I say this to you as a people because if you're concerned about the future of our church, you need to be intentional in your relationships to reach those. And you need to go fishing with some people or quilting or whatever it is, uh, an activity that connects. I would say just as important, there are opportunities on a regular basis in our lives where God brings us in contact with people whose lives may be in crisis mode or something has happened. And I preach this sermon this morning so that when those circumstances occur, you go, wait a second, this is what our preacher was talking to me about. And I would say, seize the day. Let their need meet your compassion. And it will be a connecting point that God can use. Connect someone to the Father. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan and Peyton, I'm going to change up my order a little bit, if you notice. Um, I want to look in, in Luke chapter 10. I want to first read the story that Jesus told, and then I want to broaden it out from there. The story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, verse 30, Jesus tells this story, and this is a story that many of you are familiar with. Jesus said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed leaving him half dead now by chance a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side likewise a Levite when he arrived at the place came and looked and passed by on the other side but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now that's the story that Jesus told. The story of the Good Samaritan. Probably you could have pretty much recited that word for word. And it's important, though, as we read that story, that we understand first the context in which Jesus tells it. That's why I want to broaden out the scriptures now. Notice what the verses that lead up to that story are. So that you understand, we have to understand the meaning of the story based on what Jesus, the point he was trying to make, and the point he was trying to make was within context of a conversation he was having with a man. And so it says in Luke 10, 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to the man, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. 
But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So we're going to get to that. So Jesus, instead of, basically, Brother Darrell would have taken the full frontal assault mode and said, Your heart's wrong if you're trying to wonder who you have to love. You're not right. You need to love everybody. Well, Jesus was much more articulate and skillful and and everything else, quite honestly, than I am. Let's just be honest. So he tells the story. Now, if you notice at the end of the story, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. At the end, Jesus has the punchline for the man who's asked the question, verse 36. Jesus says, so which of these three the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer who would have been Jewish didn't want to answer the Samaritan man because the Jews and the Samaritans were in a rivalry and he never wanted to say, well, the Samaritan was the good guy in the story. So it says in verse 37, And he, the lawyer, said, He who showed him showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. That's the point of the story. Now the man that Jesus encounters in the story is a lawyer. Not a lawyer like uh, we would have today that would be an expert in... Um, in uh, Lauren, I'm looking for my... What, uh, legal law. I was about to say, not an expert in legal law. And I'm thinking, well, that's a little redundant. In, in the laws of a land, the, the state laws and in, in, uh, criminal law. Criminal law, that's what I was looking for. He's not a criminal lawyer. This is a man who is an expert in the Old Testament law. So this is a very religious man. And he was responsible for teaching people. And part of what they did is they talked about questions. And people would go to this uh, lawyer and talk to them about what God required out of the law. And he would know uh, not only the written law, but he would know the traditions of the other rabbis who had taught, and he would expound upon this. We know that the man's heart is not right. He did not ask the, out of a genuine heart, because it says in verse 25 that he asked the question to test Jesus. He was wanting to trip up Jesus. Uh, he answers well. Because Jesus asked him, or, or Jesus says to him, well, so what is written in the law? How shall a person inherit eternal life? How do you read it? And he answers greatly, and actually this is one of the answers that Jesus had given maybe previously, and maybe the lawyer had heard it, and he threw it out. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. We would kind of summarize and say, love God, love others. That's not technically what the law said, and that's where the lawyer wanted to talk to Jesus about because it, it says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so in verse 29, when it's, it says, and so Jesus was able to look in his heart. We know his heart wasn't right because in verse 29 it says, and he wanting to justify himself. The lawyer wanted to construct the legal requirements to limit his obligation to people. Do you understand? He wanted to construct it in such a way. I don't think he was really interested in loving everybody. He was only interested in loving certain people. And he was going to get a little technical. 
Kevin, not that we're, I'm, I'm, anyhow, I'm, I'm thinking of the lawyers I've got this morning. Of all mornings, I would, yeah, preach about lawyers. But anyhow, um, you know, he wanted to limit his legal obligation to have to love people, and so he wants to get in the technicalities of how do we define neighbor? Who am I obligated to love? And I think the lawyer was wanting to limit that, the religious man, to say, oh, here's a set of people. We might do the same thing today. We say, oh, well, we have to love our neighbor. Well, I've got the Joneses that live on the right and the Smiths that live on the left. and Mrs. Brown lives across the street, and then I've got my neighbors back behind me. So I've got four neighbors. So I've got to love God and I've got to love my four neighbors. It's kind of interesting because the word here, I thought, well, maybe this is a different word. But it it means the person that's nearby. It means neighbor. And you see, you can kind of get in the technicalities. And if if you want to justify yourself, uh, you can kind of construct things the way that you want. And I think for the Jews, they wanted to be obligated to certain people Obviously other Jews, but probably only certain kinds of Jews. And other people, hmm, they weren't interested. That becomes the reason that the good person, the hero in the story, is someone that he wouldn't have had on his list. It was the Samaritan. And Jesus could look into his heart. You see, Jesus was wanting to teach the lesson that your neighbor is the one that you have an opportunity to love. If you think about the characters in the story, we have to start with the man who was assaulted. He is certainly a Jewish man. He is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is about 15 miles. Uh, Brother Ted and Barbara have traveled this road by donkey. I'm sure we have pictures of it. I don't know. Um, it's 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 a hazardous road. I've never been there, uh, but I've seen pictures. Uh, it's a treacherous road and was notorious for uh, places where thieves could watch for people. You know, one of the things that strikes me about the story is the man surely would have been traveling alone. There was nobody else in his life that was there for him. I think the thieves would have seized on an opportunity for someone who had, did not have backup. He was stripped of his clothing. He was surely robbed of all of his money. He was beaten and he was left for half dead. I was also intrigued in my study. I wonder what that Greek word for half dead is. Because I thought, I wonder if that's really half dead. What does that mean? You know what the Greek word here is? Half dead. I don't mean to get too technical with you here. It's like, huh? Half, the word for half and the word for dead. So if you want to know what this means, it means the man was half dead. He was in bad shape and probably left to himself, he would have died. Uh, We don't know why he was traveling by himself. We don't know why he was making a a trip from Jerusalem. But make a mental note that he was coming from Jerusalem, he was going to Jericho, and he was by himself. The second character in the story is the priest who happens, it says in verse 31, now by chance... So the man is laying on one side of the road, half dead, stripped of his clothes, beaten up, and a religious man comes by, thank you, God, 
a man who feared God came by. And it's some of the saddest words in all the scripture. It says that he passed by on the other side. So just imagine this, walking down the center of the road, seeing a man half dead, and taking the effort not to walk towards him, but away from him on the other side of the road. Probably looking around, also traveling by himself, looking around to see if anybody else sees me walking past the man who obviously needs my help. I don't know if the half-dead man was able, was conscious enough to see what was going on. I've often wondered. I wonder if maybe one eye that maybe wasn't swollen shut that he looked and he saw the man. I think a priest would have probably been dressed in some distinctive clothing and maybe he would have known this is a man of the religious class, but he passes by on the other side. The priests were those who were responsible in the line of Aaron, who was Moses' brother, of administering the sacrifice in the temple in this day originally in the tabernacle they were of the tribe of Levi but they were a smaller group just the line the lineage of Aaron the second person who passes by is a Levite which was of the tribe obviously of Levi and he was also a religious man and there's it's not by chance that Jesus includes these characters in the story it's part of the point because the lawyer is a religious man. And he makes the two religious people to be the villains in the story and the one person who is despised by the religious people as the hero. The Levite also would have been responsible for helping in certain ways with the religious activity, not as involved as the priest, but would have had responsibility. In fact, they were a tribe that uh, were not given an inheritance in the land because they would have certain cities and they would be responsible for helping um, with the religious activities of the people. But here's the point. The priest and the Levite had the responsibility of connecting people to God. That's why God set them apart. It was at the very heart of what they were to be about. The priest was the one who was the intermediary between the worshiper who came to sacrifice and God and sacrifice. You understand they're a bridge to God. And in this man's moment of crisis, they both passed by on the other side. The fourth person in the story is the Samaritan, despised by the Jews. And there's a change because when he walked down the road and he saw the man, do you remember what Jesus said in the story? He saw the man. The other people saw him too. That's why they passed by on the other side. When the Samaritan saw him, it says that he had compassion on him. I know you don't care anything about Greek, but I love the Greek word for compassion. It's splagna. It sounds like almost a German word. I mean, it's got too many, it's got too many consonants in it. I, I'm, I'm thinking, some of those I'm not even pronouncing because I'm thinking, well, how do you say that in the midst of that? Splagna. It was the Greek word for guts. Is when you had deep feelings. You had compassion. The seat of emotion for the Greeks was not so much the heart as it was your guts. But anyhow, I'm sure there's a point in there, but I don't know what it is. I just wanted you to know that he felt 
very deeply. But do you see the difference? He's the first person who comes along that has compassion. Even though he was hated by the Jew, and certainly the man who had been assaulted and left for half dead was a Jew, he was the one who had compassion. And I love the story of what it says that he did everything that man needed. Uh, he was beaten. And so he applied, he, he, he bandages his wounds, surely with his own clothes. He pours oil and wine, surely to, to uh, cleanse the wounds that the man was given. He sits him on his animal because he's not able to walk, and he brings him to a place to take care of him. And even he goes above and beyond. I think he probably also would have had to given him clothes, because the man had been stripped naked. He gives him clothes. He bandages his wounds. He uses his supplies. And when he, when he has to leave, because the man's not able to leave, the next day, he gives money out of his own pocket to the innkeeper, two denarii, which would have been, a denarii was the amount a man made with one day of, of, of labor, working in the fields or wherever. And so it was, it was a sizable sum. It was very important for them. It was the daily wage of a, of a, of a laborer. And he gives him two denarii for the, the innkeeper to take care of this man until he's able to go. And when he must have been a businessman as he's traveling, when I come back by, if I need to settle up accounts. He goes above and beyond. Why? Because the man had need. He had no resources. There was no one to take care of him. It was the Samaritan who becomes the hero in the story as he shows compassion. When that man's need met the compassion of the Samaritan, it was a connecting point. Now I want to come back because this is my point today. Is I've, Obviously, we've had the Good Samaritan story in Sunday school and all of this. There was one question, though, that was kind of out there for me. I thought, I wonder... In the story, and we don't really know this because this is a story that Jesus tells. I wonder how the man who had been assaulted felt about the three other characters in the story. I got to wondering, what if the man who was assaulted, who had come from Jerusalem, went back to Jerusalem... And he went to the temple to worship God. Oh, and what if by chance the very priest that was there to take his sacrifice was the very man out of a half-swollen eye he had seen that passed by on the other side of the road? What if the Levite was there also helping in the administration of, of everything in the temple and it said, that's the man. That day when I was half dead, passed by, I know he saw me, he passed by on the other side of the road. How do you think he'd feel? <laughs> I think he would have walked out of the temple and thought, if this is what this is about, then I'm done. I think there was only one person in the story that had a voice to talk to him about eternal things 
about a relationship with God. And strangely enough, it was the one that the, the Jews despised. It was the Samaritan. Do you understand that we have windows of opportunity in people's lives and if we do not seize the opportunities in the midst of their crisis, we have no voice to talk to them about connecting to the Father. Do you understand? That, that's the point today. Why? I, I don't, you know, the two religious guys could have thought, well, you know what, I'm on my way to Jerusalem and I have to be cleansed, purified, for what I'm about to do. And if I touch, if this man is dead and I touch him, then I am unclean and I won't be able to fulfill my religious obligation. Do you understand? We can, we can frame the discussion any way we want to, to say, I don't really want to get involved in this person's life. It's, it's not my responsibility. Jesus said the day you walk along the road and there's a half dead man, man laying there, it becomes your responsibility. You cannot walk on the other side of the road and still say that I am a person that follows God. Because if ever there is a time where God floods His presence, it's in the moments of crisis. And as His people, we are responsible. There was really one challenge. I don't want you to miss this. There's only one challenge to the story. And it's the final words of Jesus. He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Whatever you saw that man do in the story, that is your responsible also to do. You want a direct command from Jesus? This is it. When you're walking in the course of your life, and you're just doing your own thing, and you, by chance or by the sovereignty of God, however you want to frame it, you come across a person who is half dead for whatever circumstances. It is your responsibility to stop and do whatever you have to do. Go and do likewise. And I would contend to you, as we, yes, as Brother Cody preached, we're intentional about developing relationships through common uh, activities. But I would also say to you, there will be times in our lives, I don't know if it's on a daily or if it's on a weekly basis, but there's people that we work with, there are people that live close to us, there are people that we go to school with, there are people that are in our families, and they are going to have crisis modes and you as a follower of Jesus have two possible responses. You can either see it and pass by on the other side of the road, walk away from it, or you can walk towards it and you go, I don't know what I'm about to get involved in. Well, none of us ever do. But the person is half dead. Do whatever you can do. And even go above and beyond that. And it's only then, you get it? It's only then that we have a voice that says, and you know what? Yes. You know, so many times 
I don't think we get involved because we don't know what to do or we don't know what to say. I said this to Byron the other day in the office. I said, I came back to the church office from a circumstance. And I said, yeah, they never told me in seminary what I was supposed to say that day. I'm a little bit bitter about it. All of those years sitting in all those classes and really the hardest times when you really want, what am I supposed to do in the midst of that? They never told us what to say. And for some reason, I just looked at my son and I said, be there. I don't know what you're going to say. Probably just keep your mouth shut. Let them talk. Because nothing you're going to say is going to fix that circumstance anyhow. You show them that I'm there and I love you and I'm praying for you and I'm sorry that this has happened and whatever I can do, let me know. But you can't say some little something that's just going to go, oh, well, it's all better now. The preacher came and he had that little verse. God bless his heart. No, I, I, I don't, and I don't mean to diminish that. I'm sorry. If God tells you to say that, then you say that. It's, it's, no, be there. If you have the choice to walk away or to walk towards, walk towards. And just go, you know what, I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry about what all's going on and I, I don't know. I, I love you and I'm concerned and I can't fix it, but I want to walk with you whatever I can do. Uh, that's the point of the sermon. Jesus said, go and do likewise. And all I ask of you as the people of Huntington First Baptist Church, today, this week, next month, next year, when your life intersects, with someone's crisis. Let their need meet your compassion and let God use it as a connecting point. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, today I pray that you would use us as a church in the days to come. And Father, you'd give us compassion that Jesus had. It says when he looked upon the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Father, I pray that you'd give us hearts of compassion for the people that we work with and we go to school with and we live around and people that are in, even in our own families. And Father, help us to love them as ourselves. And so Father, we just pray that you'd use us and that Father, you would use that encounter, Father, to connect people to you. So, Father, we give you this time. We pray that our hearts would commit to that very fact and truth and way of life. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. And there's love that humble to broke my shame and sinfulness you rose again victorious 
come forward to receive our offering. I want to remind you that these first three Sundays, at least in November, we are going to be uh, taking up a special offering above in your tithe uh, for our food ministry. And so we want you to prayerfully consider that. Uh, wow, Leah, if you talk about my sermon I mean, I really thought about Most Excellent Way, and I thought about our food pantry. What an incredible opportunity we have uh, to touch people's lives, many of them in crisis. And uh, wow, the, you know, we have some incredible ministries, and uh, kind of one we're highlighting this month is our food ministry, and, uh, but we need financial resources, quite honestly, to finish out our year, and so we encourage you above and beyond your tithe to give to that. Uh, as you've prayerfully considered that. And so um, we'd like to come and pray. Brother Gary, you're the young buck in this crowd. I'm looking at these guys. Some of these guys may be long-winded like old men are. Okay. Yeah, come on. All right. Why don't you pray for us? Uh, Father, we thank you for today, God. We thank you for uh, the words you speak to us, God, about loving others, God, about reaching out. Father, we pray that uh, we can be the hands and feet, God, as you have used commanded, God. I pray that uh, you bless this church, you bless this offering. We thank you for your love. In your name we pray. Amen.
We do want you to know that tomorrow is Produce Day at our church. If you would like to come and volunteer, that's always a great day. Um, also, next Sunday, we will be spending some together time as a church, and we'll be eating. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. Thanksgiving meal. Church is providing the meat. And I think we've also recruited ladies to do the dressing to go along with the turkey, and there will also be ham. I think the bread... the church is also doing rolls bring side dishes that's a good thing but be sure and bring desserts amen whatever you want that has sugar in it just bring it cook it and bring it Uh, but any kind of any kind of sides and dessert we're going to put it all together we're going to have uh we're going to present our budget after that for the 2018 and they're out in the foyer. I want you to look over those. And we'll be discussing that uh, in our family conference after the meal. Um, when you're going to spend that kind of money as a pastor, you always want people's hot, uh, stomachs to be full. Generally, people late, you know, about 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon will approve anything <laughs> at that point. Uh, <laughs> and you think I'm joking. But anyhow, uh, also... Um, we have baby dedication next Sunday if um, you have any children to dedicate and um, I don't know. Oh, and this afternoon, our, our children's department will be having a fellowship. What do you, a party? Can we have parties or we have to fellowship? We will have a fellowship <clears throat> at the church at the Stoddard's house. Not won't be at the church. It'll be at the Stoddard's house four to six. I don't know if the Stoddard's know this or not. They're coming to your house at four o'clock. Food. Don't give them sugar, though, until right at the end, okay? Yeah, I know. So uh, if you need directions, talk to Jennifer, and that'll be a big time. So their fall party. So anything else? Produce is tomorrow about 10 o'clock or around 10 o'clock, but come a little bit early. Um, All right. Why don't you stand? Thank you for being here. Say thank you to a veteran today. Glory, hallelujah.